0: Welcome to the Directing Animation Livecast with Scott Weiser. In my many years as an animator and director, my most defining projects have been my short film, Layers, along with Vanishing Ink and Cirque de Solitude, two books which I wrote, illustrated, and pitched at several studios as feature films. And I have more of these feature film pitches coming soon. Today's guest is one that I have waited And worked for for a long time to be ready for this. I've heard him in so many wonderful interviews, and he's very articulate on the subject of storytelling and screenwriting. And I just wanted to do this justice. So, um, um, (laughs) yeah, let's talk about your process and and how you're able to work alone for so long without feedback back
1: on your stories. Uh, You know, when I was
0: a kid,
1: I would pitch things. I'd have ideas and I'd pitch them to people and I'd feel them out. And a lot of people will give you this advice like, oh, you're working on a story. Tell people, see how they respond, all of that. Yeah. Uh, and I did that for a while. But what I found was once I told it and got those reactions that I wanted, I didn't feel like writing it anymore. <laughs> yeah. there, right. There was no the reward of getting the response. I'd already gotten that. So I was like, well, I know. So I would lose interest. And so I, mm. I started to not do that. I learned a lot when I was going through that process of asking people questions about, you know, does this work? Does that work? And I learned when I was a kid, I used to go to the the movies a thousand years ago when you could just sit in the movie theater all day if you wanted um, and watch the movie over and over again. And I would do that. And uh, yeah, I did that all the time. And what I would do is the first screening or so I would watch the movie, then I would start watching the audience and see if they laughed in the same places as the last audience or were scared in the same place as the last audience and, and they were. And so I was like, well, then there's a technique here. There's a way to do this because it works every time the same way. And so I set out to learn what those things were. Most creatives I found use their themselves as the sole barometer. Right. So I like that. Therefore it's good. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that gives them uh what's the word I'm, I'm looking for? It makes their their ability to be in the minds of an audience. It makes it more difficult for them. Whereas, right, right? whereas I was so interested in how an audience re- would respond, that my, my response, it was in there. I'm not saying I'm, I'm doing stuff just to please the audience or whatever. It was yeah. in there. My response was part of it. But I was also Scared when other people were scared. I also laughed when other people laughed, or whatever it was. I just knew there was a technique, and I set about trying to learn what those, what that technique was. Because I did that, uh, I don't feel very often that I need much feedback. I may need if something's not clear, or something like that, or I haven't made something clear that I need to know. For the most part, I I feel like I'm not guessing about what works. And Hitchcock, I mean, I'm only compare myself to Hitchcock in this way. Hitchcock, <laughs> you know, he he would get to the point where he he didn't see movies with his own movies with an audience, and yeah. people would say to him, "Oh, Hitch, you should have seen this." You know, people screamed here, and they were this here, and they reacted that way. And he would say, "Yeah, I know. That's it was designed that way." Like. He didn't need to see them do that. He knew why they were doing it. It was a design. It's not impossible to learn how to do that.
0: Yeah. What is the process? It kind of sounds like you, from your example, you were filling your mind with these experiences of watching how people react to certain movies and and then saying, okay, this is how you get the laugh. This is how you get the, the scary moment. This is how you draw the tear.
1: Right. What
0: is the process beyond that?
1: Like how do you how do you make those things happen?
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, like how do you know like Hitchcock? Like I know that the person the audience is gonna cry at this part. The audience is going to be afraid well, at this part. Okay.
1: So for instance, Hitchcock's, you know, main thing was suspense, right? So yeah. He used to say, and this is another thing I find with creatives, they often don't look at life <laughs> to figure out how things work. They look at other yeah. creative you know, other things yeah. that were created, right? Yeah. They don't look at life. And so there's more to learn from life about your craft than, than people, uh, people will take advantage of that. So, so here's the thing. When Hitchcock was a kid in England, in what we would call elementary school, I think it's called primary school there. And yeah. when he was in school yeah. back in those days, Hitchcock was born in what, 1899 or something. So, right. So when he was a kid, it was very early in the 20th century. You know, they had capital punishment. You could get, you know, whacked with a big paddle. So what happened was you'd get in trouble. You'd go to the office of the headmaster and the headmaster would say, well, Mr. Hitchcock, you spoke back to a teacher or whatever it is you did. And he would write your name in this book and he'd say, uh, young master Hitchcock did this, that you get X amount of swats, five swats. Yeah. And it is. Right. And there was a big paddle on his wall, but he's, but Hitchcock said that would happen at the be, beginning of the day. The rest of the day, all you could think about were those swats that you knew were coming yeah and he said that's how i learned how to create suspense
0: is from his life experience from everybody's life experience right that's the way everybody in the class had the same experience with when they were put on that list
1: yeah or yeah it, it doesn't matter when you when you are anticipating something so hitchcock would say that he never and this is a problem i run into uh, with people because they don't understand this principle but and it makes me crazy because a lot of movies and TV shows don't understand this principle either, which is that Hitchcock <laughs> would say, I never created suspense by keeping things from people. I created yeah. suspense by keeping everything right right Here's the paddle this is how many swats you're gonna get. It's gonna happen at three o'clock, right <laughs> right, right right yeah that's how you create suspense. and if you look at your life and you, you observe what makes you tense, what makes you feel that kind of dread? And you can break apart the components. Well, let's see. I know this is going to happen. That's why I know this. I know this is going to happen. I saw it happen to somebody else. So now I, you know, I know how it goes down, whatever it is. You can apply that to your craft. That's just one technique, but, but that's, those are the kinds of techniques you can learn. So you say, oh, okay. So this works on human beings. In fact, there's something I think the Inquisition, the Spanish Inquisition used to call presenting of the instruments or something. So before they tortured you, they would show you everything they were going to use. (laughs) That's (laughs) ingenious. Yeah, so it's like that's part of the torture. Well, we're going to use this thing and this sticky thing, and ooh, what's this thing do? And look at you know, so right, you know, and you know that might be enough for you to go. You know what? Maybe I'll maybe I'll convert, right? So right, it, it might. It might be enough for you. That was part of it. And so it's just a, it's just part of being a human. That's the way we respond. So you can learn how people respond to things and why they respond to things and apply them to your craft. But often the pushback you get is save it. It'll be a surprise. Don't tell people, you know, well, then you've missed out on all that suspense.
0: Well, we've kind of developed this no spoiler culture because of that. So like, don't tell me about the film because I, I haven't seen it yet, you know? Mm-hmm. And to me, I'm like that might be evidence that it's not a very good film. <laughs> I think that's I, true. I could tell you the whole plot of Rear Window, you know, and yeah. you would still have the same experience. I cry it; it's worth a Wonderful life every year I watch it. True. You know. Yeah. I cry more. <laughs> hmm Yeah. It's yeah. True. Well, it, it deepens. Lift more life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It deepens over time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you, It doesn't matter that you know what's going to happen and that an angel's going to get his wings and you know <laughs> none of that stuff yeah. matters. Oh, I hope I didn't spoil it for anybody
0: now you've been spoiled (laughs) no still watch it it's worth the whole entire ride i mean just even the way they edit the movie and oh just all this the deep symbols that you don't realize why he's doing a certain thing you know and then it's amazing and then when you watch it again you're like oh that's why they they put that in there that's why Mm -hmm. he does that because it shows you like he believes in luck and he believes in chance and you know yeah. all these things so when i yeah I, that,
1: the other thing that i did when i was a kid actually talking about watching something over here here's how uh out of touch i was so back when i was very young you, you couldn't there was no videotape there was no there was no way to see something you know especially on television unless mm-hmm. it just came on television like it would just you know you couldn't record it so it was <laughs> everything was an event the wizard of Oz used to come on every year and that was an event <laughs> Every year yeah. it was an event. The movie yeah. The Ten Commandments would come on every year. And every year it was an event. Like at Easter. It came on Easter every year. They were always these events because they would be gone. They'd come, you know, almost like a live performance. Like you if you miss yeah. it, you miss it. But and I would read about certain movies when I was a kid, but I could never see them. Rear window was out of circulation for a long time. It was some kind of legal thing or something. You couldn't see it for twenty years. Nobody saw it. And I'd read about it and heard about it, but I could never see it. But eventually, they re-released it in the theater, and it was great. But, but when videotape was available, all of these movies I read about, all of these classics, were at my disposal. And I remember going into the into the video store, and everybody always wanted the new releases. Like the new releases were packed, and I was like, "There's a whole library of Alexandria worth of movies over here that no one." it's touching it's touching and <laughs> yeah. what i thought was oh this is great for people who are studying film people like me because you can study something and dissect it and watch it over and over again no one did that right i thought people would do that no one did right. that. people, yeah. people don't do it now i'm amazed by that
0: wow uh, yeah i am i am too and i i noticed you you mentioned you are a storyteller that you know not very many people, you know, who are at the top of their game are watching the latest show on Netflix or the, you know, the latest movie that just came out in the theaters. They're talking about the old stuff. And I've I've realized that in my circle of friends have become less and less in touch as well. <laughs> so they'll yeah. be talking about something. I'm like, oh, I haven't seen it. But have you seen Sunset Boulevard? <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. You need to.
1: <laughs> yeah. I also think that if you're, I mean, it's fine if you're a fan and you just want something to watch, that's okay. But I think if you're at the level of a practitioner and you want to study your craft, you can't have a real sense of what it is you're really doing unless you understand the history of it. You might think something is amazing and innovative unless you know the five movies made before that, right? (laughs) That that did that or that Charlie Chaplin (laughs) did it first or that, you know, like, like, oh yeah, you think that's innovative? Charlie Chaplin did that a hundred years ago. Right, right, you know, and, and then the
0: other, a lot of times did it better.
1: <laughs> yeah, but the other thing too about knowing that stuff is that if you know it, you can use it, right? Mm-hmm. So if you know something that Buster Keaton did back in 1920, you can use that. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, that's good. Let's let's do that. Nobody's used it for 100 years. Nobody's seen it, and it's still good. It still works. Jackie Chan was a big Buster Keaton fan, right? So when Jackie yeah. Chan was doing what he was doing, interesting. He was just like, I'll do what Buster Keaton did, (laughs) you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I remember seeing documentaries where Jackie Chan was celebrated for being so innovative. Yeah. And now that I think about it, I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he probably, I mean, it's not like he ripped that from Buster Keaton, but I can see like how by watching Buster Keaton, he'd be like, that was a good idea. How could I do something as effective in this this spot? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So here's another question to kind of further dig into your process. Okay. So back in my theater days, uh, I was in a dinner theater show of, I think it was Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Mm-hmm. And one of the greatest gifts that, that that experience gave me was that I would play my, my role on stage. And then at that time, not a lot of people realized that you could make a bunch of money from tips. So I was like waiting every table as well
1: okay. and making
0: some good money off of tips. But I would, I would stay in character and so I'd have interactions with the audience members, and I would have them like laughing and rolling on the floor and everybody be like, "How is Scott doing that right?" But yeah. all I was doing was playing my character and then just seeing how this response comes oh sure, and there was something so magical about that and i've I had that experience in other shows, but that that is a stand up moment. How can you replicate that for yourself when you're when you're in your writing process hmm.
1: you know but before I answer that question, uh you reminded me of um you probably don't know who Frank <laughs> Gorshin was. But Frank Gorshin was an actor and an impersonator. He mm-hmm. did impressions. Yeah, and he played he was the first Riddler on the Batman series. So that you might okay. know him as the Riddler. Frank Gorshin was an amazing impersonator. My favorite. He was really really good at it. And before he was a professional comic and actor and impersonator, he worked in movie theaters as ushers and in those days when he was an usher you would usher people to their seat, so they would like here, sit here. And he, whoever was the star of the movie, he would be that person when he ushered people to their seat. So <laughs> John Wayne or whatever—that's who he would be when he ushered people to their seat. Cary Grant or whoever. That's it was brilliant. Yeah. And so, uh, anyway, that, that reminded me of, of that. That's how he sort of got yeah. uh, started started and honed his craft. And plus, he's working in a movie theater, so he can see the movies over and over again. Like I was talking about, and yeah. uh, and hone his impressions. But yeah, you look him up. Yeah,
0: Portion. He's 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 pretty amazing. Reminds uh, me of uh, Star is Born as well. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with Mitzi Gaynor, where he she was going around at the dinner party and doing impressions to kind of yeah yeah that's right you know, yeah that's show right. them her her versatility or versatility yeah. versatility yeah. that's the word <laughs> yeah yeah
1: yeah that's the first A Star is Born the one that uh, everybody should see.
0: Which I watched because of you, yeah. Really? Yeah.
1: It's good, isn't it?
0: Oh, it's the best. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: It's like, oh, that's why it gets remade all the time. Yeah. Like, you should go back to the source, you know? Yeah, anyway. That is so good. I'm sorry? It was electric. That it was. That, that screenplay is just so good. It's really, really good, yeah. Anyway,
0: so you asked me, what did you ask me? <laughs> <laughs> that, that audience feedback, like where you're doing something and then it surprises the audience, you didn't realize you would get a, a laugh from the audience. You didn't realize.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And maybe we're going circularly again. Maybe just that experience. I was less experienced then. Uh huh. Yeah, I'm still not exactly sure of the question. So. <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay. I think I answered my own question, actually. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. I think, I think it's a matter of experience, it's a matter mm. of doing what you did and really. Honing in like watching the movie multiple times if you can't watch it with an audience you can watch it with different people Right, which what was the film? There's a, a Japanese film called my neighbor Totoro mm-hmm. And I watched that alone as an adult and I was like, okay, yeah It it had some magic. I, I liked it. it was creative. Okay, but then I watched it with children and and they just lit up and like it was this magical Fantastical experience and I thought wow, that's who I should have watched it with the first time Mm-hmm is with the intended audience and now I love that movie so much more huh yeah
1: I saw the Wizard of Oz in a theater uh, like a anniversary re-release or something and there were a bunch of kids in the theater who had never seen it and it was pretty it was pretty amazing to watch kids see that for the first time yeah uh yeah it was it was like like there's one point where Toto gets away from the the mean woman who ends up being the witch and Oz and I just remember some kid being very excited. He got away, he got away. You know, (laughs) I'm just very, very excited that Toto got away. It was great. I mean, I've seen it a lot. I can't have that exact experience anymore. So you can sort of have a vicarious experience, but that's the same thing. I I don't, I'm not big on the idea of an intended audience, but that's another thing.
0: (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You can push back yeah. on that one. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, I agree with that, even.
1: Yeah. Um, like yeah. Chuck Jones used to say that he never made cartoons for kids. And, you know, it's like, well, no, I never thought about it. And, you know, when I, the times I've been working at, at Pixar, I never hear anybody talk about kids or making a movie for kids. Or they, they just, they're trying to tell the best story they can. But I think they know... Yeah they know that they can't do anything inappropriate, right? But that's more about that. Like, but they don't do anything for the kids, if that makes sense. They just tell the best story. I mean, as far as I can see, I mean, with my interaction with them, that's been true,
0: that they're just trying to make a good story. Well, and in defense of this film, I don't think it was made just for kids. Sure. He just made it to inspire kids to do a certain thing. But when I watched it alone... I think the feeling I get in that movie is just like, it's like therapeutic. It's it's so gentle mm-hmm. and, and like soothing, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. So he made a soothing film, um, and actually explores some things that are really tough for children to go through. Like sure. their, their mom has tuberculosis and, you know, they're, they're struggling with that and moving into a new home and trying to get to know the neighbors and, you know, thinking their home is haunted. And yeah. So, Oh, Oh, I had a guy in my office who said too uh, along your point that, uh, He's like, I think one of the reasons we have kids is so we can show them our favorite movies. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think that's yeah, I think yeah. I, there's there's something to that. I I know I've I've had friends who, like, I don't know what order show my to show my kids Star Wars in, like the release yeah. order or the like, and it's like you know, like, <laughs> or the order like, I saw it, or <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Which is funny. So yeah, I don't know. You're asking about my my feedback and how I think about it. I guess. I guess after a while, you can almost, it's a simulator. You can do a, which I'm sure Hitchcock did, which is you can sit there creating and put yourself in the, here's what it is. Most creators, I think, when they're creating something for an audience, imagine the audience is a bunch of them. (laughs) Ha ha. Yeah. Right? Yeah. What they don't do is go, how do I get into the mind of an audience who isn't me. Yeah. Right? Because what happens is then you start getting into personal preferences if you do it the other way. So if you go, "Well, I like it when blah blah blah." Like I I always yeah. when somebody says to me, "I like ambiguous endings," for instance.
0: <laughs> I'm like,
1: "Okay, you okay. like that. Are you making this for you? And that doesn't mean you can't have an ambiguous ending." Yeah. But what what it means is you're not trying to get at a bigger point. You're just because if that's your point, right? If if your point is life is complicated and can't be put in a box, like if that's the point of your piece, your piece still has to prove that point through yeah. the story, right? Right? And the ending mm-hmm. can be ambiguous, but that is also a conclusion, right? Right. 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 right yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And so, but when people start with this. I don't like it when. I don't like happy this. I don't like sad that. I don't like this or that. You're not even
0: just talking about personal preferences.
1: And you're not thinking about what the audience needs for
0: that particular yeah. sport. And you're running a simulator. I did like the example of the simulator. Yeah. I, I really like that. And in my head, I did start to see, okay, sometimes in my simulator, I see I see how what I want to see, right? Right. But I really need to add the audience into that simulator. Yeah. Yeah, they need to be part of it. I'm the person up on stage. They're the person reacting as the audience. Right. So it's like, so sometimes
1: important information isn't given to an audience, for instance, because you already know it as the teller. Well, I know, you know, it's like, yeah, but they don't know. Like I, I had a a script uh, actually became the graphic novel became Old Souls, but when it was a screenplay. Which
0: was great. I should have mentioned it. (laughs) Oh, that's okay. Thank you.
1: In the, in the screenplay and in, in the graphic novel, I have these, these guys reminiscing sort of at the very beginning about Mm -hmm. different ways they've died. Mm -hmm. And I had a manager at the time when I wrote it, who said that I didn't need that scene, but he's like, you don't need that cut that. And it's, it's very important when you see a piece, it's a very important part of the story, but it also, it's, it's what I call an outer boundary. So it's something that gives you, a hint of where the story is going to go so that you're not completely caught off guard when it goes that way. So, Mm -hmm. because after that I have to show a guy just living his regular life and there's nothing fanciful or supernatural or weird or metaphysical in it. So in order to buy myself that time, I start with this outer boundaries where you go, well, wait a minute, people are talking about how they died. What's how's this going to enter into the life of this regular guy living his regular life. Right. Yeah. And so my manager was like, you can cut that beginning. I'm like, you don't know that because what I don't think you need it. It's like, but you already know where the story's going because you've read the whole story, right? <laughs> and so you yeah. can't unknow that. So, yeah, you don't need it now because you already know what happens, right? Uh, yeah, he fought me and fought me on that.
0: Um, but what you were doing is you were saying, okay, this is going to be a story about the supernatural reincarnation yep. framework. And yeah. so I need to let you know that right away. And okay, here's his normal life. Here's all the things you need to know. Now let's get back into that framework. But yeah, you've got to keep. You've got to have people know that from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Have you Have you seen a film that you really thought was great with an ambiguous ending? Can you think of one? Uh, I imagine there is one. Um, okay. <laughs> I I don't
1: tend to think in those terms. So right. I tend to think in the terms of did did the story did the story prove the premise it set out to prove? Did it, did it, the ending, a lot of times people think of endings of stories as something you can decide. Oh, I want it to be happy. Oh, I want it to be sad. Oh, I want it to be ambiguous, whatever. But the endings are, if you think of the story as a math equation, the endings are what the story adds up to, right? And so, and so (laughs) if the story adds up to an ambiguous ending, then I wouldn't register it as an ambiguous ending. I would register it as the ending that the story was supposed to have. (laughs)
0: yeah you know and I can't think of one
1: yeah you know what I'm sure that there there is one but what I find is that the people who tend to want that uh, are people who push back against the whole idea of story structure and having a point and all of those things in the first place so an ambiguous ending for them is just part of the whole ambiguous thing they've made yeah you know (laughs) you know you know, it's just a big ambiguous salad, right? It's <laughs> just an art film or whatever. Yeah. I shouldn't say so, just an art film, but that's what it is.
0: Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I think that the point of watching a film, like you always say, um, is to, to gain survival information. That's the point of telling stories. The stories that last contain that piece of information that say, here's how you survive in this aspect mm-hmm. of life. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, if a film doesn't have that, then I'm like, why did I just watch that film? Right. And then I don't even remember the film.
1: Yeah. (laughs) You know, but we've gotten to this point, and and people don't even know because it happened. now it's a generation, at least, of people who've grown up with this. But people will often recommend a film to me. You should see X. You should see Y, whatever. Mm -hmm. And they'll say, you should see it because the performances are good. You should see it because the soundtrack is amazing. You should see it because the photography is you know, incredible, but whatever it is. I'm old enough now where I remember when people didn't describe movies that way. People used to say, oh, man, you got to see E.T. Oh, you got to see Rocky or whatever it was. Jaws, you got to see Jaws. Yeah. They didn't say because this was good, because that was good, because this was good, because it all worked together in concert to help tell the story. Yeah. If one thing is standing out, that means the other things suck, right? (laughs) Yeah. Right? Oh, that's and it's so not interesting. Working. But now it's a generation of people who think, well, that, what do you want? It's an action movie, so you get special effects. I don't understand why you would want more than that. It's like, because you used to get more than that. I mean, Die Hard has more than that. Raiders of the Lost Ark has more than that. You used to get yeah. more than that, right? But now they just take out one component. They pick out one component and they go,
0: this is the thing. The we're effects gonna... were amazing. The... Yeah, yeah. There was one movie, I won't say what it was, but um, my friend said, I love this movie because this, this part, I had this feeling I've never had in a movie. And, and I watched yeah. the film and I was like, I didn't have the same feeling at that part. I could see yeah. why the person had that feeling. But I, I don't know. I just didn't enjoy the film. It was just Well,
1: you know, it, yeah. the thing is, people think that it's parts. Like yeah, when I don't like something, people say, oh, but didn't you think it had some good parts? It's like, you know, those parts are connected to things. And if it's
0: not, you know what I mean? It's like, it's a whole, not yeah. parts. Oh, that's you amazing. know, and I love that that quote you said: "If one thing is standing out, it means the other things suck." Yeah, <laughs> that was just that's very clear, very good. <laughs> yeah, well, you can't talk about the project you're on right now. Um, big project, help. great opportunity. So let's do a little bit of a workshop about my potential project. I can I I'll, I can give you a few details. So I have a musical that I have I put a pitch together. And I've gained a producer Mm -hmm. and we've talked about how this process would go right now. I have an outline because it's a musical. I haven't written the movie. I also want to get some authentic voices into the, into the room to make sure that we're writing it adequately. Sure. This producer has told me that he, he's, he's not going to intervene. So his process will be, he's going to look at my script. He's going to say, what what are you trying to do here? He'll Mm -hmm. challenge me. Sure. He'll challenge me and try try to push me and like push me to my boundaries. He said, but ultimately it's your choice, which I thought that's exactly what I need. That sounds like the ideal partnership to make sure that I get this story to be the the best um, vehicle for the survival information that I have to tell. What advice would you give to make this film the best it can be?
1: My advice is to know exactly what you want to say. Okay. So if you want to say friendships are difficult, but worth the trouble, right? Mm -hmm. Let's just say that. Right. You know, it should be a sentence. You know, it can't be friendship, right? Right. Sometimes people are like, friendship, that's my theme. It's like, "Mm, no, it's not. Friendships are difficult is a theme. Friendships are whatever, right? So let's say you want to say that. It's not a
0: subject, uh, it's a theme.
1: (laughs) Right, yeah. So once you know that, everything you do should be... In some way, expressing that, or challenging that, or proving that. I was just talking to somebody about the movie Castaway. Yeah, and Castaway has one of the best act ones, one of the best first acts. It's amazing. <laughs> it's, yeah, and and if you know what you're looking at, because a lot to and I don't mean know what you're looking at like in a pompous way, but if you know the craft of it, you know if you know what it takes to do what they're doing then yeah. you you are in awe of what they're doing. So right. you know, there's a whole thing at the beginning of that movie where Tom Hanks, who works for FedEx. Now people who don't know what they're talking about will often go off about FedEx in the movie and oh it's a big advertisement for FedEx.
0: Grand <laughs> <and>, placement.
1: <laughs> yeah, all <laughs> that stuff, right? Um yeah. and yeah, it's in there, but FedEx is about getting things to people quickly.
0: On time. Uh, yeah. On time.
1: Here's you see Tom Hanks when he's introduced and he's giving a talk to a bunch of Russians about time and how time is a is a taskmaster and it doesn't care if you're young or old or this or that and and he says you know we must never commit the sin of turning our backs on time what you see in that first act is you see a character who is so into his work that he isn't making time for his life so you see when he finally gets home and he sees his girlfriend you know she hasn't seen him for a long time she wants to spend time with him but he falls asleep on the couch they go to a dinner with her family his there's a whole thing about they haven't gotten married right uh, yeah <laughs> right and in fact he even i guess it's an ongoing thing you get the impression it's an ongoing thing because he's like oh how long did that take you know oh that was pretty you know that's a record or whatever and they're making fun about making fun of that and that has to do <laughs> with time and And turns out his girlfriend had been married before, but didn't like being married to somebody who was bound to their pager, sort of married to their pager in a way, you know? And so is, but so is Tom Hanks. During the dinner, he gets a page and he has to leave. And so then there's a, (laughs) then they have a scene where, where Tom Hanks and Helen Hunt, who plays his girlfriend, where she's defending her dissertation. And so he has to be back for that. He's going to go away. And so they're trying to work out. When they can have any time together and she's got her calendar and he's got his here, we, right? He's trying to fit his, his life between his work. There, there's some other things too that, uh, relate to this time thing, but I'm sort of condensing things here. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they haven't exchanged gifts. It's Christmas. They haven't exchanged gifts. And, and he says, well, we'll have to do it in the car. So he, cause he has to go to the airport. So in, at, in the parking lot or the park near the airplane, they are exchanging gifts. And she gives him, well, he gives her towels, like hand towels, which yeah. she pretends to not be disappointed by. Right, right, right. And, and, and she gives him a watch. Mm-hmm. This is all about to- When you watch this, think about, see, watch how many references there are to time. Yeah. She gives him a watch. Inside the watch, when you open it up, it's an old pocket watch. And inside the watch is her picture. And so now you have an object that links Kelly is her name to time. So that is directly related to the theme here, right? Mm -hmm. So Kelly is linked to time here. And then it turns out that, that Tom Hanks, the bath towels were a joke. And uh, as he's leaving, he, he gets out of the car and he hands her a box, a little box. that presumably is a, is an engagement ring. He says, well, you know, well, basically we'll talk about it when I, when I get back. Yeah. His plane crashes. Right. And he doesn't, doesn't get back. The, one of the first things he does, he does two things when he, when he crashes and ends up on this Island, he picks up his pager and it's waterlogged. Yeah. Right. Because time has stopped for him. Yeah. Time has stopped for him. Right. He takes out his watch, the Kelly time watch, because he (laughs) says he's going to keep it on Memphis time. They're in Memphis from Memphis. He goes, I'm going to keep it on Memphis time,
0: Kelly time, right? Kelly time, yeah.
1: Right. And he checks the watch, he shakes it, and you get the sense that, oh, the watch has stopped. Time yeah. has stopped. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. So what he learns on this island is that, and the thing that keeps him alive is getting back to Kelly. I got to get back to Kelly, kind of. That's his whole thing. So when he's stripped of everything, the only thing he wants back in his life is the thing he wasn't making time.
0: For. Yeah. Right?
1: Right? The thing I have learned about classics is they are relentlessly focused. Yeah, they are. They are relentlessly focused. There's no fat on them; they're very lean. Star Trek Two is that way, actually. <sighs> People think Star Trek Two is good because it's got Khan; it's got the best villain, or whatever. Yeah, right? yeah. But there's so much going on there, and it's so focused about what it's about that, and it's more focused than the other movie. It's way more focused. And so people are like, well, it's st- like, oh what well, came out in eighty-two. Most people still say, Well, that's the best one. And even the more recent ones that J.J. Abrams did, people said about the first one, like, it's almost as good as Rapha. Like still <laughs> almost good. there
0: was the benchmark. <laughs> yeah. It's still it's yeah. still uh, the reigning
1: champion. And I think because it's relentlessly focused uh awesome. on what it's about. You know, it's really about, you know, it's Kirk's birthday in that movie and Kirk feels like he's aging. There's another mm-hmm. time thing in a way. He feels like yeah, yeah. he's aging and nobody else is like, everybody else is like, why aren't you happy that it's your birthday? I mean, you're living another year, it's great. Why aren't you happy about that? And he's not, and he could see it. It's a glass half empty situation. He could see the glass half full, but he doesn't see that. Yeah, he doesn't. And, yeah. and Spock in the early scenes gives Kirk a birthday present. And the birthday present he gives him is a tale of two cities.
0: Mm-hmm. Kirk opens
1: it and he reads the opening line. It was the best of times. It was the worst. It was the of
0: worst times. of times, which is a glass half full, glass half him. Right. And the whole thing is like that.
1: Yeah. It's oh, that's awesome. Unbelievably focused. Even the weapon yeah. that Khan wants is the Genesis Pro. What is the Genesis Pro? Now, Khan thinks of it as a weapon, but it really is the, a thing that creates Life from lifelessness, right? So it is both life and death together. That's what that weapon is, the Genesis Probe. Hmm. So even that probe ties directly into the theme. Interesting. That's cool. It's unbelievably cool. It's, yeah, I wrote a, a blog post years ago about that breaking down Star Trek. Uh,
0: I think I read it. <laughs>
1: yeah, there's a, it's amazing. It's amazing. But yeah, so I would say... Don't lose focus. Don't lose focus. If, if, lose focus. if you yeah. have something in there because you think it's funny or clever or smart or entertaining, yeah. but it has nothing to do with your theme, it, it will hurt. <laughs> it will hurt you in the end. Yeah. Will, yeah, yeah. And the more you do that, the more you make exceptions, the less focused your piece gets. You have to understand that it's all part of a whole. It's not pieces. There's a really good example of that in um, of this in the book, uh, The Art of Dramatic Writing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Where he talks about uh, Rodin doing a sculpture. It's a real sculpture. I forget the name of the sculpture, but mm-hmm. Rodin did this sculpture and he was very proud of it. Like woke up an apprentice or something and said, "Hey, look at this. What do you think?" And mm-hmm. the apprentice went on and on about the hands and how great they were and how lifelike they were. Then he asked somebody else and they had the same response. Oh, the hands! You know, it was a picture. It was a sculpture of a woman in a robe. Yeah, her hands and. Everybody kept bringing up the hands, and so he cut them off. Is this
0: the one where, he, yeah, he cut them off.
1: He cut them yeah. off because they were stealing focus from the rest of the piece.
0: Yeah. And most well, and since the Since reading, you know, and listening to you, I, I don't know if there's anything of yours that I haven't listened to yet. I, I hope there's not. <laughs> <laughs> but, or, or read several times. I have been more willing to do that. Uh, my current film, I had originally envisioned that it would start down on the ocean and it would go past these sailboats, and I had this opening shot in my mind. And luckily, I cut it (laughs) Uh because I knew I knew what the story was about more recently. And I was like, no, I have to start like at a completely different location and and introduce the character this way, because, yeah, that was romantic. That other vision I had in my mind, but it's not right. Right. And so, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And usually.
1: uh, Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, that's the thing that. I think separates the uh, sort of amateurs from the pros: the ability to cut yeah. the things you love because, for the greater good of the piece. Yeah, um, yeah. amateurs will always hold on to that thing they love um, <laughs> to the detriment of the piece. But I like yeah. that character. Yeah, they don't yeah. help you, but I like them. Uh, okay, all right. You know, you're not a pro, but okay, go ahead. <laughs> Keep them. You're not. Yeah.
0: A pro. Yeah, and I recently, I mean, I'm skip, I'm jumping the gun a little bit, but on this five pitch project, I had somebody read. They read my outline, and, and he and his wife were really offended by the first line of my essay about this this feature film uh-huh. pitch. And I kept wanting to keep it. And luckily, this guy is pretty articulate. He said, "What makes you want to keep that?" And I was like, I, "There's something that makes me want to keep that." So I went and sat down. I thought, "What in the world of why am I holding on to this?" Mm-hmm. The way I was phrasing this, and then once I realized, okay, it's this aspect of the character, then I was able to cut that line completely and then articulate who this character was. Sure. You know, so yeah, sometimes those things that you're holding on to might actually be maybe for a reason, but they might be blocking you from actually knowing what the reason is. Yeah, that's true. Um so usually at this point of the show, I I do the get wiser moment, which is about how do I get the highest clarity of truth into a into a film? you that's all you talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so I want to do our our get wiser moment a little bit differently with you. It's something I've been thinking about a lot because I love this idea of have a point, like have something you want to say. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing I've noticed is that several people I've watched as they're crafting their stories recently, or I'll watch a feature film that was crafted. and They said, this is the thing we wanted to say. A lot of times it's like propaganda. Oh, right. It's from one political party or another. It's like a popular thing to say. How do you know it's actually real survival information and not just I'm in Nazi Germany and we should hate the Jews? Like, Right, right. Because we shouldn't hate the Jews. That was right. that was an atrocity, right? <laughs> right. So, yeah.
1: Right. So so how do you know the difference? How do you know you're not doing that? Uh huh. Yeah. Well, first of all, I think most of the time when people are doing that, they do know they're doing that, right? So that's part of it. Um, <laughs> that's cool. Right. So they know they know why they're using they're using the form to to actually spread propaganda. They know that. Here's the thing: your story is proving something but you have to be honest. Mm -hmm. So if you're dishonest about it, if your story is saying this group of people is all bad, that's a very hard thing to prove if you're honest. Mm -hmm. If you're leaving things out in order to make your point, then you're probably making propaganda, right? But you can leave things in that argue the other side. It's almost a court case. You should be able to argue both sides. It's probably stronger if you do, right? Yeah, and of course it's stronger if you do. Yeah. You can argue both sides and equally, equally strong. One will win most of yeah. the time. Even if one doesn't win, you've argued both and you've argued them both well enough, hopefully, that somebody who is on one side of the spectrum or the other side of the spectrum can all of a sudden see the other side of the argument.
0: Mm, um, I love that. that. Yeah. It
1: does make sense. I didn't think about it like that. You know, Yeah, that's, that's enough. Yeah. So that's one way.
0: Yeah. It was so. You know, you remind me of when the whole there was a conversation surrounding race last year, right? Mm-hmm. And I felt myself caught between these political ideologies. Mm-hmm. And you know, I wanted to, to to find where the truth was. And I feel like the, the, the most I learned about that subject was listening to you tell your stories. Oh wow, on the you are a storyteller podcast. Mm-hmm. Like there was the most, and I didn't fall on either of the sides of the argument actually. Once Uh I listened to you, because I thought, no, this is a lot different than I thought it would have been, you know, Mm -hmm. and I, I came, you know, I started with one, like I was siding a little bit more with one ideology, but not anymore. Like (sighs) some of the things you said that just were, were so clear. And I think it's because you were being truthful. You weren't trying to just say it was politically popular or, you know, what, what a certain group of people want you to say. Yeah, that was a magnificent experience for me. It was transformative. Oh good. oh, good. Yeah. Thanks. Oh, good. Yeah. And actually, I would tell your story around. So when that debate would come up, I'd say, you know, I've really learned about racism from Brian, and so I'd start telling your stories, and they'd be like, hmm, hmm, <laughs> they'd start to question it, you know, sure. question their their ideologies that were kind of stuck in that propaganda boat, you know? Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah,
1: it was it was fantastic. Oh, that's cool. Well, that's good. That's uh, then I, I've done some good.
0: So, so uh, <laughs> you've done plenty of good. <laughs>
1: uh, uh.
0: And it doesn't mean that either of us see it perfectly, right? I'm I imagine that a hundred years down the road, maybe there's more to learn about this conversation that, that there, we haven't learned yet. There, there may be. Yeah, I can see why you would say not, that too. Having listened to several things you said, before. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> because yeah. also, uh, like you, you kind of function on this basis of like I would read read all of Aesop's fables. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those stories stuck around because they're true and they've remained true. Right. And and it's just sometimes we get so caught up in our day and age that we forgot the things that were true. We We right. kind of go back and, and review them.
1: Yeah, because politics change and nations yeah. change and, right? But the stuff that's true will be true no matter what nation is there, no matter what language right. people are speaking, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Some people have sour grapes. That's one of his stories. Some people are like, I, uh, those are probably, that's a thing. People are like that. They will do that. Yeah. You know, or the boy who cried wolf or something like that. Like that, that's just always going to be true and it doesn't matter. The politics of things don't right. matter.
0: Yeah. I think maybe where I was going with that is sometimes we're just blinded by our current situation. Like we're in a current political climate or social, something mm-hmm. is going on. We might be a bit blinded because of, Different alliances we have, um, but yeah. that's why we keep telling stories, right? That's why we yeah. go back and read Aesop, right? And watch Wrath of Khan and Sunset Boulevard, and it's real right. life, and
1: <laughs> yeah, and the but list some, goes on, right? Yeah, and in some cases, you maybe have been purposely blinded, so you don't see a uh, another perspective. I think, without getting political, I think, for instance, one of the ways that segregation worked, which you know was designed. To happen, like, okay, we're not going to let these people live here. We're going to make these people live over here. What that that's allows, kind of, right? yeah, yeah what, what that allows to happen is when you separate groups like that, you can tell group A anything you want to about group B, and they don't have the interaction to disprove that thing, hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, so they just go, Well, I guess that's what must be what it is, right? So you may be blind, but you're also blind to the forces that made you blind,
0: right? Yeah, right,
1: <laughs> like. Oh, this was a design. I feel this way by design. I yeah. heard a, a a guy who was a he was a guard at I think, at Auschwitz or one of the concentration camps a, mm-hmm. uh, he he said he he was not defending himself. He didn't say, "Hey, look, I was just doing my job. it wasn't that." But he said, "Well, one thing that I don't think you understand is how we were taught to think about Jews from the cradle. It was in mm-hmm. our nurse it was in our nursery rhymes. It was in our little, you know, so from the cradle, that's what they had been taught. Right. He's like, I don't think you understand that that was the case. And I think he's right. We didn't, we don't consider that as a factor. You can consider that without saying it was okay what you did, right, right? You can consider (laughs) that, oh, that's how stories were used to manipulate this group. And of course they were blind to how they were manipulated.
0: Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, Right. I've seen I've seen propaganda films from Nazi Germany and Mm -hmm. they're like, look at these horrible Jews. Look, look at how dirty they are. And I'm looking at them like they look like regular people. I don't see it. Yeah. They look like people from that day and age. I don't see it. And it was like it's actually more crafty for them to say, look, it's there. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, the emperor has clothes on. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They were tricking themselves.
1: Yeah. 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 Without getting into it, we've done that, too. In fact, the Nazis looked at what we did. There's lots of oh, documentation. Yeah. There's lots of documentation that shows that
0: and we not. we probably looked at whether other people did too, you know. Yeah before us. Like how did they accomplish this thing? Right. And how did so, they do it? Yeah. 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 Just like the good, light, truthful information is passed down through the generation, so is the bad stuff. Bad stuff is passed
1: down, except of course it's bad, but yeah. it always serves a function, right? Uh-huh. So if if you are fighting for resources you say, well, these people are going to be greedy and they're going to steal all your resources, right? Yeah. It, only, it still serves a function. And yeah. if you take out the moral component, it still has a survival aspect. If you think my group should survive over your group, right? And oh. the way we
0: do that is
1: X. The way we do that is Y, right?
0: Even if uh, it's not the right way to do things or the moral way to do things, they can well, still I see the survival information.
1: Yeah, I don't think. For instance, I think that theft is a law. It's a social thing, mm-hmm. but nature doesn't recognize theft. I don't think animals steal from each other all the time. Like, hey, those yeah, eggs they are, do. Egg, those eggs are unattended, right? I'm going to have mm-hmm. some eggs, right, 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 right. A snake will do that, or right. And it's very hard. You'll see it in Charlie Chaplin movies because he's often hungry. It's very <laughs> hard to make somebody. Who's hungry and stealing food into a villain? Yeah. Right? Because at your core, you go, well, he's got to live. He's got to eat. What are you going to do? Right? That you know that that's true. Yeah. Is it right legally? No. But there's a bigger law. Right. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, well, no, that animals have the right to protect themselves and survive and do what they need to to survive. That's just true. And every animal is going to do that, including mm-hmm. us. And so often I don't think that the moral thing or what we think of as morals, which are sometimes morals and sometimes laws or rules, right? Mm-hmm. Because I, I I find it difficult. There's a store near me and there's a big homeless problem right now. and So people are stealing food and all of that from the store or have. It's like, well, we should have a system where they don't have to do that because I don't know how morally wrong it is for them to eat. It seems more morally wrong that we're not feeding them, right? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Right, like if you are starving, what do you do, right? If you have kids to feed and you can't feed them, what do you do? You have a bigger, you can let them starve, but you've obeyed the law, right? Mm -hmm. Or you can steal and you, there's, again, there's a higher law. So my point is that that there are things that are are wrong, and we know they're wrong, and they're actually wrong. But even those things can be helping a particular group to survive, and that's why it gets passed on. So it's like, oh yeah, what you do is you have a divide and conquer strategy if you want to if you want to take over a, a you know a country or take over a a society. You know, you make these people hate these people, and then they'll fight each other, and they'll leave you alone as the power structure, right? And that's a power structure surviving right well we make these guys hate each other and then that's how we survive Hmm. right it's it's not necessarily good but there is still survival information in it so that's why it
0: lasts that's cool (laughs) you really (laughs) got me thinking (laughs) like i'm really reflective right now Oh, and, and actually, we've gone, we've gone over time, but it's, it's been completely worth it. I'm, I'm glad we went there. because Oh, good. Good. Well, I'm going to be thinking about that a lot. <laughs> oh, good. Good. Uh, well,
1: well, I'm sorry I went over sorry. time, but because of me and my fault, uh, <laughs> we had that
0: weird beginning. Because I of technology. Made, <laughs> I,
1: I, I hope people made it through that beginning. and
0: Yeah. I, I don't think you deserve the blame at all. It's a, it's a combination of things. But yeah, it's yeah. been wonderful to have you on the show. And oh, thanks, where can Pat. people follow you? Oh, let's see. Masters
1: of the Craft, or, or uh, you are a storyteller. They can uh, subscribe to mm-hmm. that on, on YouTube.
0: On YouTube, yes. Excellent yeah. show. Every single yeah. episode's been great.
1: Oh, thank you. And that's, if you want to watch it, if you want to listen to it, it's also available on, you know, all the podcast things that you would yeah. use. Yeah, and then they can you can find me on Twitter. I forget my Twitter thingy, but you can find me. <laughs> yeah, I think it's BMACD, isn't it? BMACD. Is it it's B, yeah, it's at BMACD. That's what it is, yeah. So, is it two E's? Uh, B E. Uh yes, yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. It's not how you spell yeah. my name, but it's the way I pronounce it when I people call me McD, So sometimes, so yeah. So there you can find me there, and you can look up my old blogs if you want to read those, like the Star Trek one or whatever Star Trek two, yeah. uh, which is the Invisible Ink blog if you want to check that stuff out. And it's a yeah. castaway thing on there too.
0: Uh, yeah, do yeah. check it out. It's worth it. Oh, it's worth thanks. it, even though you heard him just talk about it you know revisiting it you can find so many layers there so thank you scott all right well thank you for tuning in and i hope until next time we all get a little wiser you have been watching the directing animation live cast with scott weiser audio version edited by kiera horowitz copyright scott weiser llc 2020